welcome to episode 14. <laughs> uh, <laughs> long time no see. I know, right? <laughs> Do you guys miss us? It's been far too long. It's been two minutes for us. Oh. But do you want to know where we are? We're actually driving away from the Saltaire. <laughs> so, uh... So like, listen to our last episode. We went to the Saltaire. Yeah, it's a double whammy for us today, but yeah. you get a break. I hope it was nice. Um, uh, so yeah, April, you're in Disneyland right now. No, 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 no. Oh. I would have... I would be in Disneyland the time we would have been recording this episode. Oh, okay. So you, you've already returned from your vacation yeah. by now. It was great. Was it great? Yeah, we saw... <laughs> what did you see? Saw, <laughs> we saw Disneyland. Did you see the Eiffel Tower? Yeah, we saw Mini Paris, and Levi was so excited. I bet he was. Um, I'm sure Josh won so much money. <laughs> yeah, how much money do you think he won? You just got to put it out there. How much do you think he won? At least $100. Hey, that's more hundreds than you had before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. I'm so glad that you had a great vacation. <laughs> yeah, me too. Uh, if it wasn't great, we'll probably tell you about it in the following episode. Yeah. But that'll be way after. (laughs) A month later. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, We got distracted. Yeah. Hopefully, though, by now I have my x-ray license all active and ready to go. Will you have a job? Maybe. Okay. (laughs) Maybe have a job. We'll see, you know? I hope that happens for you. Thank you. (laughs) I'm putting it out there. Yeah. Manifesting is what we're doing right now. Right. So, I guess we'll check back. (laughs) We'll see if it works. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, well, so episode what, 14. Yeah, episode 14. This is Haunted Cold. Oh, yeah. Hi. <laughs> well, yeah. This is, if I mean, if you don't already know what podcast you're listening to, yes. if you're lost, Haunted Cold, <laughs> uh, I'm April. I'm Katie. We're sisters. Yep. If you don't know the, the deal by now, then figure it out. <laughs> yeah, then just read the description of the episode. Listen to the last 13 episodes and... <laughs> yeah. uh, but we travel to different haunted locations. I tell a, ha- a haunted story when we get there. April tells us a local true crime story on the way. Yeah. So it's been fascinating so far. It is. It is yeah. I'd say. Yeah. There's a lot of shitty people here. There are. A lot of ghosts, too. Uh, like other places, but <laughs> yeah. we're focusing we, on Utah. We are so much like other places. <laughs> yeah. And we're going to tell you about it. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, if you want to know how ordinary... Yeah. If you're wanting to know what Utah's like, listen... <laughs> Please don't. Well, don't take our word for it. I mean, this isn't um, all that it's like, but this is... You know what there is here in Utah, though? There are trees, mountains, yep. uh, skiing... Uh, uh-huh. Camping, uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. shitty freaking people that drive on the freeway. Lake monsters, lake monsters, and land monsters. <laughs> <laughs> and land monsters, also known as murderers. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. I guess I can. Do it. Should I start my story? I guess. Okay. Is that what everybody's here for? I don't know. Oh, so <laughs> this story sucks. Yeah whole we might we may have to take an intermission to take a break from this story because well we do have to pee in a minute so yeah we are getting off the freeway to go to the bathroom should i wait no no that'll be our intermission okay that'll be fine i hate this story so much uh but i'm gonna tell you about it because it's a cautionary tale oh uh trigger warning sexual violence towards children 
I don't, I'm sorry. You're literally, no one will want to listen to this story, (laughs) honestly, but it's a cautionary tale of keep your children close. Um, make sure that there's danger everywhere. Yeah. Strangers are horrible. No matter how safe you think your neighborhood is, it is not that safe. Yeah. It is not. No. You need to make sure your children are being watched. Watched. Or or have or have the street smarts to know what to do and if there's danger. Yeah. You I know? mean but they can only know so much. Exactly. I mean so. there's only so much they can do, but still like you are not as safe as you think you are. Yeah. So the nineteen eighties brought us some very good things. Yeah. Hairspray. Yeah. Leggings, rock and roll, mm-hmm. uh, 80s pop music. Basically, all 80s music was great. Um, it, yeah, all of it was. I, I mean, I enjoy all of it. Everybody does. That yeah. is a blanket, bold statement that I'm willing to make. Everyone yeah. enjoys 80s music. Everyone. Everyone does. Every soul on this planet likes it. Yeah. <laughs> if, you if you don't, you don't, you don't have a soul. <laughs> yeah. So... But not only did they bring us the greatest music of all time, it also brought us the worst serial killers of all time. The worst of all time. Literally, serial killers, it was the era for them. It was the playground for them because we just let our kids roam free, you know? And uh, uh, people were experimenting with drugs. It was a party decade. Yeah. Anyway. In the 80s, no one was safe. Not even the Mormon capital, Salt Lake City, Utah. Oh, this specific story is about one of Utah's worst serial killers. Ted Bundy. No. Really? You probably haven't heard of him. Really? You're gonna. Okay. His name is Arthur Gary Bishop. He was born in a tiny desert town named Hinkley, Utah in 1951. Okay. Uh, he had devout LDS parents, <clears throat> grew up LDS as an honor student, and was an Eagle Scout. He had a younger brother named Douglas who idolized him, and they ended up having a lot in common. So Bishop graduated from high school in 1969. He served, served an LDS mission in the Philippines. When he returned, he enrolled at Stevens Henniger College, a Utah business school. Um, he had remarkable grades and completed the school's accounting program. Okay. Smart dude. Just kind of a normal Utah person. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Pretty ordinary. Yeah. None of his friends or family would have ever known how sick and twisted Gary really could be behind closed doors. He was addicted to child pornography. Eventually, his sick fantasies turned into reality. Bishop began going by the name Roger Downs because he was running from the law. Um, He was accused of embezzling almost $10,000 from a used car dealership he worked at as a bookkeeper. Um, He was charged and pled guilty receiving a five-year jail sentence, but before he could be booked into prison, he disappeared to Salt Lake City and assumed the name Roger Downs. So he was a new, he had a new identity. Just disappeared into the crowd. Yeah. It all started in October 1978 when a man going by the name of Roger Downs signed up with the Big Brother program in Salt Lake City, Utah. Big Brother program. What is that? It's um, a program where adults help troubled youth. Okay. So kind of an Eagle Scout type leader, but for the, the Big brother program okay so it's like they are assigned like a mentor yeah kind of, of sorts. yeah okay 
On October 14, 1979, a four-year-old Alonzo Daniels was playing in the courtyard of a Salt Lake City apartment complex. A man asked him if he wanted candy. Of course, he did. He vanished without a trace. Oh my gosh, no. He was four. That's so sad. His mom was young. She was panicking and asked family to help search the complex and surrounding areas. The police were called and they went door to door. Roger Downs happened to live across the hall from Alonzo's family and was questioned by police but was never a suspect. Wow. They had no way of knowing Alonzo had already been dead when they reached the complex to join the search. Bishop panicked when Alonzo started to cry in his apartment and tried to hit him with a hammer but was unsuccessful. So he drowned him in the tub, put him in a cardboard box, and carried it to the car. Oh my gosh, no! He passed Alonzo's mother on the way to the car with the box as she yelled Alonzo's name. (sighs) Oh my gosh, no! Yes, I'm sorry, I cried this entire time researching this stupid story. Oh my gosh, no! I have a five and six-year-old, both boys, and this whole entire story is why they will never leave my house again. (laughs) Honestly. um, By late afternoon, Salt Lake City Search and Rescue and hundreds of civilians joined the search for the little boy. So they posted photos of him and broadcasted his picture throughout the state. No one had seen Alonzo, except, of course, Roger Downs. He knew exactly where he was, knew exactly where he went. He drove to Cedar Fort, 20 miles southwest of Salt Lake City, and buried Alonzo in the desert. When Bishop got home, he had a mixture of emotions. He was disgusted, but excited at the same time. Gross. I hate no. these people. Yeah. It like, gets, like, what? It what? gets so worse. Why? Yeah. Like, and I want you guys to assume that he sexually hurt him. I was just going to say that, because, I mean, like, he had that child pornography addiction. Yes. He takes a child and kills a child. Keep that in your mind. I don't want to talk about it. I can't talk about it. I'm sorry. But just assume that throughout this story, that's a common denominator. I don't want to talk about it. Okay. That's the why. Yeah. Uh, November 9th, 1980, just a year later, after Alonzo went missing. Kim Peterson, 11 years old, met a man at a roller skating rink who offered to buy his roller skates he was trying to sell. They agreed on a time to meet up on Sunday. Kim went to meet up with the man. Then they went rabbit hunting, I guess, in the West Desert. He never came home. His parents didn't know the man, didn't know his name. Their son, Kim, didn't really share. But it was a different time. He was just like, hey, I'm going to go sell my skates. I'll be back. Yeah. (laughs) And they didn't think anything of it. But yeah. the 80s were a different effing time. Right. Um, ask your kids where they are. Where they're going. Track them. Follow them. Seriously. <laughs> I'm going to be a freaking helicopter parent, I know. Well, it. now I know why mom was always that way, you know? Yeah. Where she was like, who are you going to be with? Where are you going to go? And I remember, I remember being annoyed. I remember being annoyed too, but as, like, as a mom now, I'm like, um, I want to know everything about who you're with. Yeah. I want to know their parents. Mm-hmm. I want to track you. Yep. I, <laughs> yeah. can I come with you? Let me, let me go. We'll meet at the park, bring their parents. You guys can play in the park and I'll be there. I'm yeah. not letting you go by yourself. Yeah. I can't do it after stories like this. No. The police had no trace to follow and no leads. They had no clue that Kim was killed the same way and buried in the same location as Alonzo. <sighs> Another year later, October 20th, 1981, Danny Davis, four years old, wandered away from his grandmother at a Smith's grocery store. No. Bishop saw him trying to get candy out of a gumball machine 
Um, he offered to give him more candy. Danny followed him out of the store and was never seen alive again. The grandma finished her, or his grandma finished her shopping and panicked, asking the store manager for help. Finished her shopping? Yes. Yeah. Just uh, let the kid roam around the freaking place. No, no, no. And then it's like, oh, where'd the kid go? I have no yeah. idea. Oh Our mom had us hold on to the cart the entire yeah. time we were shopping. Like, I now understand why mom did some of the stuff she did as we were growing up because it's of she stuff like this. probably heard this story. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly. Um, should we, uh, intermission? Yeah, we can pause now. Okay. I hate this story. I want to break. That's a lot of sugar. Yeah. I love how we both just went for sugar. Mm-hmm. Gummy lifesavers and fast break. Yep. My Red Bull. And What's that? Dr. Pepper cream soda. In a fountain. Nice. Yeah. Anyway, we're back at the, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> we're back at the grandma. She finished her shopping, panicked, and asked the store manager for help finding Danny. Witnesses said they remember a small boy at the gumball machine and was ast- assisted by a young man. The search continued with many volunteers. The night came, knowing Danny was only wearing a t-shirt, jeans, and flip-flops. It was down to 30 degrees. The second day of Danny being missing, divers searched the depths of Big Cottonwood Creek. Deputies searched ponds, roadside ditches, and garbage cans. So sad. Wouldn't that be so devastating, knowing that your child is out there? And they're looking in the garbage. They're looking in ditches. They're not looking for him alive. They already assume him to be dead. Like, that... That would rip all hope yeah, out of right? me. It, this whole thing scares me as a mother. Like, yeah. it's just, I can't... Anyway. Flyers were printed with Danny's photo, copies sent to law enforcement across the U.S., and a $20,000 reward for information, but no luck. The police suspected Bishop, a.k.a. Robert Downs. So they were like, this guy's weird, right? Mm-hmm. So they did think of him as a suspect. He was questioned for Alonzo, the first boy. Uh Okay, yeah. So they they did think it it could be him because they had no other leads. Just based off that he was weird? Yeah. Well, he was creepy and he lived across the hall, Mm -hmm. you know? So they were like, there's something off about that guy, right? right. Um, Danny was the same age and the market was just down the street from Roger's apartment. Okay. Or sir, from, so he went by Roger Downs, but they didn't know his real name was Bishop yet. Okay. It was Arthur Bishop. Got it. Let's see. So the market was just down the street from Bishop's apartment. They questioned him, but nothing came of it. Danny was suffocated and buried near the two victims in Cedar Fort. Authorities were baffled. A group of investigators met at the Metropolitan Hall of Justice in Salt Lake City looking for similarities or patterns of the open cases of missing boys in the area. They were all kidnapped at different times, different days of the week, different age groups and race, because two of them were four and then the other boy was 11. Um, They couldn't pinpoint what the common denominator was. June 22nd, 1983, uh, Troy Ward was celebrating his sixth birthday when he vanished from a Salt Lake City park. He his was birthday? Yeah. He was supposed to be meeting a family friend at the park, and they'd drive him home for where his birthday celebrations would be. Yeah. He had birthday presents and a cake waiting for him at home, but there was no sign of him at the park. The family friend who was meant to drive him home 
went to the house expecting him to be there and just decided not to be at the park, but he wasn't there. The family called the police immediately. They combed the streets and witnesses said they saw a young boy walking with a man, but they seemed to be father and son. So no one thought anything weird of it. It was Bishop, though. He asked Troy for directions, and Troy willingly helped him. Bishop took him to his home. He thought about letting the boy go alive, but he panicked that he could be caught and bludgeoned Troy with a hammer, drowned him in the tub. Instead of burying him with with the other boys in the same location, he took Troy's body to Big Cottonwood Creek in the Twin Peaks Wilderness area. At this point, he was getting away with it. He couldn't wait another year or two to to strike again. So just three weeks later, 13-year-old... So his name is spelled G-R-A-E-M-E. Green? Okay. I don't know. Grayan? Grayme? I don't know. Graham Cunningham, 13 years old, had been hanging out with a group of friends often at Roger Downs' house. Part of the Big Brother stuff. Yeah. Um, They were planning a camping trip, in fact, to go to California with Roger. It's confusing because he's going by a different name. Right. But they know him as Roger Downs. So they were planning a trip with Roger as the chaperone to go camping. But a couple days before their trip, on July 14th, 1983, uh, Roger asked Graham into the basement to take nude photos. Graham initially refused but was offered $100, and so he agreed. The young boy never came out of the basement. Oh, my gosh. His parents knew Roger, okay? Mm -hmm. They, you know, trusted him as an adult. Yeah. Um, His parents became concerned when Graham didn't come home for dinner. Roger Downs actually approached the police and the boy's mother and offered to help with the investigation. Oh, that sick mother effer. Yeah. Later in the interview with uh, Desert... Sorry. Later in an interview with Deseret News, Bishop said, quote, I wanted to help her. I just didn't know how to tell her I killed her son. He knew the parents. Oh, I, I trust no one. Yeah. It, I, oh, and that mom. Right. Looking back, I'm sure she's just like, how did I trust him? You, because as a mom, you feel like you would just know. Right? right? You would know character. Yeah. You would have an intuition. There's some people that are just so sick and twisted in the brain that, like... They can lie to anyone. Yeah. And they're good at it. So it's just... Ugh, I hate people. Okay. <sighs> Sorry, you guys. I struggled researching this. It took me forever, and I cried 4,000 times. After questioning Roger, police started looking into his background, realizing Roger had an unnatural fondness for the neighborhood children. All the neighbors thought he was creepy. Gross. Um, ooh, this looks like it could be haunted. Could be. Okay. Where am I? Okay, so he was creepy. Right. Kids in the neighborhood, they all thought he was creepy. Yeah. They searched high and low for Graham with no luck. Investigators finally realized they had been searching for a Salt Lake City child killer since 1979, and there was a name popping up in each investigation, Roger Downs. Mm. Roger had been interrogated for all five missing boys, but no one put it together until Graham's investigation. Wow. They also learned that he was wanted for embezzling the 10K from his recent employer, but he was going by the name Lynn Jones, I believe, at that employer. So he was, like, 
not a real person yeah. <laughs> everywhere he went. And I'm sure that was confusing the investigation. Yeah. Um, so they invited Roger Downs to the police headquarters. He was anxious to, quote, help them find the missing boy. So he was, yeah. as you guys know, he was, getting, he was a narcissist, yeah. putting himself into the investigation because he wanted to see it unfold mm -hmm. because he's psycho. So he was invited to the police station. He met with veteran homicide detective Don Bell. Um, once Detective Bell started picking apart his story, he quickly admitted his true identity as Arthur Gary Bishop mm -hmm. and admitted to five counts of murder. I heard, I didn't hear this, I read this in a book. I read a book called um, Becoming Bulletproof, uh -huh. and it's written by a CIA person, officer, and she talked about when she was training on how to interrogate people. Mm -hmm. She said, you can get the most information out of people when you ask the least amount of questions. Yeah, you let just them let talk. Just let them talk. Yeah. And they're going to they're gonna answer all your questions if you yep. just let them talk. Yep. I'm that way. I'm not a murderer, but, like, I don't like silence. And mm -hmm. so I talk. You fill in the I gaps. fill it in. And then I say weird stuff and people know too much about me because I do that. Like... <laughs> I can't stop talking because I don't want there to be awkward silences. See, I feel like since I read this book, I've been watching how I talk to people when there is silence, and I've noticed that I've been more silent since I read that book. Huh. Because I'm like, I don't want you to have the power in this conversation, <laughs> so I'm going to just answer your question and leave it at that. So I have found that I feel awkward now that I pay attention to that, because I'm like, I'm purposely not giving information, you know? Like, yeah. that's either off topic or just not information they should have it's just it's interesting if i knew anything about a crime i would be your perfect person to interrogate <laughs> yeah <laughs> like literally i'm a prime person to interrogate because i am that person i will yeah. tell you everything oh man because i can't not i don't <laughs> like if you just sit there and stare at me i'll just say he did it <laughs> like, <laughs> like, yeah like i know exactly you know. what you want to know um uh, he yeah. stole something and right. I know about it because I was there, <laughs> like, right. you know, like yeah. I would just make... giving so much information <laughs> yeah. and they'd be like, uh, we were just here to ask if you knew something about his character. It's kind of like Nick Miller. Yes. He's like, can't tell a lie. Yeah. And then he's like sweating. That's 100% me. Well, they're like, tell me everything. Oh, you want to know everything? They start at the beginning. Yeah. yeah. I was born. In Chicago. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, so he admitted to it. Okay. Right? Yeah. Pretty quickly. They didn't have to dig too much. He spent the entire night telling this detective the worst details about what he did. So the morning after his confession, once he stopped talking about all the horrible things he did, Bishop led police to the remains of his victims. Three small skeletal bodies were found near Cedar Fort and two other corpses near Big Conwood Creek. Mm -hmm. Um, Bishop, I just realized something. What? You can take this out. This story has five victims, and my last story has five victims. Hmm. What is up with me? I feel like I'm finding weird connections that don't mean anything at all, but I just feel like it's... You stay away from those numbers. Number the five. Five is a bad number. Yep. Okay. I'm sorry. That made no sense, and it doesn't <laughs> matter to anything. It just, like, no, came but it's to my weird. brain. No, I... Bishop at first said that he only killed the boys who threatened to report him, but later admitted that the thrill came from the murder itself. He said, quote, I'm glad they caught me because I'd do it again. Sick. I hate him so much. 
Um, After the authorities announced Bishop's arrest and confession, parents from all over the area swamped police with calls accusing Bishop of molesting their children. Oh, really? Like, from the Big Brother stuff. He was hurting children the entire time he volunteered there. Okay, so is this... um do you see? I don't know if you know, but do you think that these kids were finally like, okay, now I can talk about it, or do you think that it was these parents being like, really? And then, and then once this came out, they're like, oh shit, it's real. Like, I yeah. wonder if the parents didn't believe their kids, mm-hmm. or something, there was some- or the kids finally were like, that's the guy who hurt me. Oh, maybe. you know, like if and, they didn't know who it was. Yeah, or- like maybe they didn't know how to pinpoint him. I don't know, but he was, he hurt so many kids he threatened them he said any kid he hurt if they if they promised not to say anything then he wouldn't hurt like he wouldn't kill them so he convinced that many kids not to say a word but you know what kid the second you get home you go straight to your parent you get the police to go for him oh or the dad the dad will kill him the mom will kill him i'll kill him (laughs) <laughs> like, yeah, or if you I feel like, can't. or if you feel like you don't have a trusted adult, like April said, go to the police. Yes, go to somebody who could do something. It's Expose hard. Expose these people, you know. And and this is me as pers- a person who is not a victim of these kinds of crimes. It's so easy to say, go tell somebody, yeah. report it. But like, I don't know what kind of emotional and mental toll that takes on a person. I can only imagine, honestly, so but, yeah. but if you have it in you and you, something like that happened to you or someone, you know, someone confided in you, oh my gosh, tell the police if you can mm-hmm. write a report. But the problem is, is that they can't do much if they don't get a rape kit. Ah, uh, I guess that's true. They don't have hearsay. Yeah. It's just like, Yeah. but that's us who don't know anything but please tell somebody yeah like i have the biggest anxiety that this is going to happen to my kids and that they won't trust to tell me right you know it's like how do i make my kids feel safe enough to tell me anything right like i want to make this the safest place possible right i will know everything yeah you know but it's like, how do you how do you build that trust with your kid? And if every kid a, is so different. If too. you're a helicopter parent, the likelihood of your kid being like, oh yeah, let me tell you everything, is mm-hmm. unlikely. So you have to be like a low key helicopter parent, <laughs> right? Right. Be as sneaky as they are. Yeah. So a bunch of kids from the Big Brother program, as well as surrounding areas, were like, yeah, that happened to me too. Parents were like freaking out, and a detective, Captain John. Pole, I don't know, told the Salt Lake Tribune, quote, what I'd like to know is where those people were two or three years ago when we had nothing. When kids started going missing, why didn't they say anything then? Mm -hmm. Because that would have helped narrow down who it was. Yep. So it's like, help other kids not get hurt. Mm -hmm. But it's not a victim shaming thing. It's just like... Yeah, or victim blame. It's just kind of like, if you see something, say something. If you hear something, say something. I don't know. But I feel like it's possible that the kids just felt safe that the guy was with police and they're like, okay, he can't hurt me if the police have him. Right. You know? Yeah. Because I feel like it's easy to tell a small kid, I'll come after you if Mm -hmm. you say something. And then they're like, they don't know. They don't know... They don't know the big picture of They it. don't... Yeah, they have no idea that that guy's not going to come after them. Mm-hmm. Ugh, okay. So, 
Police searched Bishop's apartment and found evidence that corroborated his confession. They found a 38 caliber revolver, ugh, a blood-stained mallet and hammer, and dozens of nude photos of boys. Arthur Bishop was charged with five counts of murder, five counts of kidnapping, two counts of forcible sexual assault, and one count of abusing a minor. They could only get evidence from his most recent victims that sexual assault had occurred. From the others, there was no they had no ability to get evidence from them because they were skeletal remains at that point. (sighs) Sorry about the story. Okay. Remember when I talked about him and his younger brother being a lot alike? Yeah. When Bishop was still awaiting trial, he was in jail. He learned that his younger brother Douglas had been jailed for sexually abusing young boys in Provo. Are you kidding? They were both child molesters. Okay, so that makes me wonder about their parents. They were devout Mormons, but they had no proof as to how their upbringing brought them to where they were. I guess there's no proof. Did they ever say they were abused or anything? No. It's so strange. His trial started in 1984, where Bishop's defense team started to blame his addiction to pornography to why he became so fixated on young boys. I feel like to be a defense lawyer for someone like this, it would be so hard to be like, I have to try to get a lesser sentence for you. Yeah. I don't know how they do that. I have to try and help you so that I can make money. How, like, I don't know how morally you could do that when the evidence and he confessed. Yeah. Like, I can see if, like, there was reasonable doubt Mm -hmm. that they did it or not, but, like, he confessed and Mm -hmm. bragged about this shit. Mm -hmm. Like, he did it. How, as a defense lawyer, are you, like, trying to help him, you know? Oh, I don't know how they do that. Okay. Um, almost like he had a psychological, or almost like he had psychological deficits that drove him to kill. Honestly, he is psychologically friggin' effed up if he's willing to do this. No one could be ever completely sane and be doing that kind of stuff. Right. Um, they were on the losing team, of course. Bishop had confessed, uh, but they were hoping they could get him a lesser sentence of manslaughter instead of first-degree murder. How? Um, But the six-week trial resulted in Arthur Bishop being convicted of five counts of capital murder, five counts of aggregated kidnapping, and one count of sexually abusing a minor. Aggravated. What did I say? Aggregated. I did that again? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I spelled it right. I just don't know how to read. (laughs) I don't know why I keep doing that. Aggravated. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Yep. Okay, only some of Bishop's taped confession was played in court, but the jurors were able to view it all mm-hmm. um, to make their decision. And probably to save the people that were listening, save their ears. Yeah. Not everybody needs to hear that. Right. Um, as they listened, some were shocked, others were in tears as Bishop giggled and mimicked <gasps> a dying boy's plea for mercy. Are you kidding me? I think at that point is exactly when I'd be like, electric chair and for you. off with his head. Yeah. Oh, that, like, made me throw up. Like, I literally, like, was sick to my stomach after that. To be a juror and having to hear those things, like, how do you sleep knowing that there are people like that? Like, that this is, is gonna mess me up for would, a while. You would need therapy. You, you would. would. I might need therapy I'm after sure, this story, actually. I'm sure, I'm sure people who are on the jury for big cases like that, I'm sure they get, like, free counseling or free therapy they better they better because this is awful and they were in it for six weeks yuck yeah to no surprise the jury recommended the death penalty 
Uh, Bishop chose a lethal injection as his execution method. Uh, soon after, Bishop was sentenced, and he was on death row at the state prison at the point of the mountain in Draper, Utah. A rumor circulated that an anonymous person offered $5,000 for someone to kill Arthur and another $5,000 on his brother Douglas. Really? Like, they had a hit on him? Yeah, and it could have just been a rumor, but the prison officials had to take it seriously and, like, put them in protective custody. Uh, there ended up being no attempts on their lives, but the brothers were outcasts in the prison system. Oh, yeah, because child murders. Child murders or molesters. I'm surprised. I am surprised that they weren't murdered. I mean, he was on death row, Mm -hmm. so he couldn't have, but his brother was not on death row. Yeah. So, because he didn't kill his victims, he, yeah. Arthur, during his time in prison, ended up returning to his childhood religious beliefs as an LDS member. Although Arthur had been excommunicated from the LDS church a year before his killing started. He said, quote, with great sadness and remorse, I realized that I allowed myself to be misled by Satan. In prison, he, like, read the Book of Mormon ten times and became religious and whatever. But obviously, he can't be a part of the religion after all the stuff he did. Bishop's attorneys pursued their petition for a new trial but Utah Supreme Court rejected that in February 1988. He realized his life couldn't be saved, so later that month he fired his lawyers and replaced them with counsel that were willing not to appeal anymore. So he was like, you guys are wasting your breath. Um, You're fired. These guys are willing to let me die, so. So it's kind of like your story from episode 12. Yeah, he wasn't like, he he wasn't like asking for execution. Mm -hmm. He just kind of accepted it. Mm, I see. On May 1988, the Utah Supreme Court lifted Bishop's indefinite stay of execution. I'm not sure why he had a stay of execution, but anyway, so he ordered, the judge ordered the trial, sorry, the trial court to set an execution date. Okay. So three, three days after that, Bishop appeared before a judge and said, quote, in reflection, or sorry, quote, in reflecting back on my life, Um, I remember a lot of good things, but these are overshadowed by the things I have done. I wish I could make restitution somehow, but I don't see how I can. I wish I could go back and change what happened or that by giving my life, these five innocent lives could be restored. Again, I say that I'm truly sorry for all the anguish. The judge signed the death certificate unmoved by his message Mm -hmm. and Bishop's execution was set for June 10th, 1988. During Bishop's four years in prison, he read the Book of Mormon ten times. He still feared if ever set free one day he'd return to his old impulses. He believed he would make make it to the spirit world on the other side where he would continue to work on his issues in order to be forgiven. So, in LDS religion, they believe if when they die that they go to a spirit world where they continue to be taught Right from wrong. Right from wrong and atone for their sins, kind mm-hmm. of. And then they can go to heaven. To, yeah. Heaven or hell, wherever is decided. Yeah. He was ready and anxious to die. Bishop spent time with his parents for the last time on June 8th, just two days before his execution date. He spent his last hours fasting and praying. He didn't get a last meal. His Mormon bishop uh, told newsman Robert Mims... Uh, quote, 
It's unbelievable how calm, calm and cool he is. Even the guards can't understand it. I've dealt with thousands of inmates in 33 years, and he's the most sorrowful and repentant and remorseful man I've ever seen. Um, Arthur Gary Bishop was executed by lethal injection on June 10th, 1988. And we all hate him forever, and there's no coming back from that. Yeah. And that's my story, and I'm sweating really, really bad. It's interesting, because it sounds like towards the end, people were kind of rooting for him in a way. The bishop was. Yeah, but like, being like, not like saying like, oh yeah, this guy's a great guy, just being like, oh, he's so sorry. He's so sorry for what he did. And even he said, I'm sorry for what I did. But it's like... Who cares? Who cares? This, this... I don't give a shit what you, how you feel right now. I don't give a shit... Because, like, yeah. what you've done is irreversible. Yeah. There's a guy with... He's naked. What is this place? Oh, yeah. I door dashed to that guy before. He gave me an extra tip. Oh. He's a nice guy. He's, he's a, just naked? a Packers fan. Oh. Does he live there? Yep. Is that... Is this an apartment building? It is. Okay. <laughs> it looked like it was a library. <laughs> so I was like, what is he doing? Well, I guess if you don't know that... <laughs> okay. Got it. I was like, because it does look historical <laughs> and pretty, and the half naked guy walks out. Right. Just in his underwear and a beard. It's can. ugly naked guy from Friends. <laughs> Anywho, but the Gary Gilmore story made me kind of like wrestle with the idea of the death penalty. I have to say, and this could be my mom revenge mm -hmm. type brain mm -hmm. or emotions coming yeah, out. The mama bear. 100%. Yeah. If the freaking state didn't kill him i would have yeah can't do it i hate him that those are the type of people who can hurt the most innocent beings on this earth and i would fight for him to be executed but that's that's because as a mom i don't think that's he can come back from that no morally there's no way if you're willing to do that to somebody yeah as innocent as little children I you agree. are the scum of existence. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, Let me breathe for a well, sec. Remember with Gary Gilmore's case, uh, the judge, or they, we were talking about how in Utah they had just overturned the death penalty or yeah. whatever, and it was like certain cases. Mm -hmm. Would you say that the the scope of cases should be smaller or larger? Like, do you think that the death penalty should be given to more different things, or do you think it should be very specific, like children, or like? I would say Whatever. it's hard because it's like a child's life isn't worth more than like a grandma or a mother or a yeah. whatever. Their life is life, right? Mm -hmm. But I do think crimes against children. Like there shouldn't be a question. There shouldn't be a hesitation for that for me. Yeah. I think that's a black and white thing for Especially me. Especially if it's confessed. Yeah. I mean, it's hard because if, if there's not enough evidence, you know, mm -hmm. and there are stories where people are wrong, wrongfully convicted, but DNA is helping that yeah. be prevented. But this dude confessed. He laughed about it. Mm -hmm. He was proud of it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. He's the worst. That was literally, that's the worst story I think I'm ever going to cover. I don't think there's worse than that. Well, we'll see. In Utah, anyway. I think that's the worst of it. You think that's the worst, huh? I hope so. If there are more people like that, my gosh. But, like, they were trusted too much um, to be alone with children. Um, 
but I think that's less common now. I think people put protocols in place mm-hmm. as parents or as, and... or as like companies, they, you know, at least two people have to be, two adults have to be present. You can't be alone with kids, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, parents are a little bit more like aware yeah. <laughs> of the sick possibilities and out there. And have better ways of getting a hold of their children. Yes. I, I know that the yeah. ones that you just talked about were like five. Four. So youngest was four, the oldest was 13. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously the older ones in today's world would have been able to have some sort of like phone probably, or like a grown up that has a phone or whatever, you know, a way to check in. But back then they probably still used pay phones, right? Yeah. Well, and you wouldn't see kids roaming around the grocery store alone because of all the kidnappings that happen that way. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't see kids walking to the park at four years old by themselves. Right. Um, It's just a different time. It's just we're a lot more aware. But with technology, we now have different predators online. Yeah. And that's something we now have a new territory of sickos. To hurt kids, I don't, I can't grasp the kind of person that can do that. Right. I'm sorry that was the worst. I'm glad I left it for last. Yeah. Me too. Damn, that was a bummer. Well, ready for my story? Yeah, let's, let's get away from this place in my (laughs) brain we're at. Okay, so I'll tell you before I start my story. This building... So, when I first moved into this county... <laughs> okay. When I moved to Tooele County... When I moved to Tooele County, I drove by this building a few times, and it always, like, caught my eye, and I'm like, what is that building? You know, like like what you said, you're like, it's, it looks like a library. Mm-hmm. I would drive to the thrift store that's across the street, and I'd look at it, and it just says Kirk on the side, and it's just like, what is it? We started doing this podcast, and I was looking up, like, haunted locations and making, like, a list of all the locations. And I'm like, what places are in Twilla County? And I found Asylum 49, which mm-hmm. is a huge one. I found a couple that were, like, in, like, Lake Point, Stansbury, Grantsville area. Then I found this one other place called the Kirk Hotel. And I'm like, excuse me? <laughs> so... I just think it's interesting that it's been catching my attention for this long. Yeah. And then I've been finally covering it. I'm like, that's a haunted building. <laughs> so I wonder why you were so attached or drawn to it. I know. And it really makes me wonder. But, um, so, what was I going to say about this place? I don't know. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, one thing about this location is that it, it's been on my list for a long time. But I haven't heard of it, so I thought, like, it's probably a really small story. Like, the Sarah Theater. Oh, yeah. Like that. It's probably just, like, some kind of haunted place. But actually, it's considered the second most haunted place in Utah. What? And I have three and a half pages of just I have never notes. heard of this place. I know. Wow. It's an apartment building. Yep. So. Okay. We are... Sorry, hold on. If we weren't, like, married off with kids, I'd be like... Let's move here. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. Because it's cute. It is really cool looking, huh? Mm-hmm. So, we are on 57 West Vine Street in Tooele, Utah. The intersection right behind us, that's Main Street and Vine Street, mm-hmm. is the oldest intersection in Tooele. Oh. Yep. So, that's part of why this building has become one of the most historical places in Tooele is because it's been, it's been here since the place was even established. 
Almost. Is it windy outside? It's not windy outside. That light is swaying. Do you see it? Yeah, I do see that. It is slightly windy, but not enough to move that. That's like a heavy light fixture thing. And it's swaying. It stopped. We'll have to get a video of it before we leave. Okay, if really it cool. does it again, it I'll does. keep watching it. So, this is a three-story building that was built in 1927, and it's made out of brick and concrete. Fun fact, the person who designed the second version of the Saltaire is the one who designed this building. Oh. Well, that version of the Saltaire is the second? No, it's the third. Oh, okay. I was like... Yeah. <laughs> you're like, that wasn't... That's right. not impressive, <laughs> but this is a cute... I mean, it's... Yeah. I mean, okay. There's not much to it, but, like, it does it's have cute. some, like... Yeah. We'll post pictures. So you guys it's will see. a square brick building. <laughs> yeah, but it has, like, a cute, like, entryway that's very, like, intricate with its design and... And then, like, the windows have, like, the tall archways and... This building first opened on May 22nd of 1928, and the opening of this hotel was such a special time for the Tooele County that they ended up making that a city holiday, which is not celebrated anymore. <laughs> Haven't even heard of it. But anyway. <laughs> okay. Uh, the wealthy man behind the project was a local miner named Philip C. Kirk. Originally served as a hotel to people who worked at a nearby smelter and in the nearby mines. Gotcha. On the first floor... There was a small uh, gourmet restaurant and a coffee shop. Cute. Uh, there was a small ballroom with vaulted ceilings on the third floor. And I'm assuming that on the second floor was just rooms. I'm assuming. Because nobody ever talked about what was on the second floor. Yeah. Other than it was a hotel. So. Makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you can like just <laughs> put that together. Yeah. Uh, the hotel was seeing success until 1929 when the stock market crashed and Mr. Kirk went bankrupt. And the hotel closed its doors and it was repoed by the bank. That's a bummer. Until Philip's grandmother, her name was Millie Jones, she came to save the day. She went to the bank and was given a loan to revive the hotel. His uh, mom? Or his grandma? His grandma. Oh, Grandma Millie. Yeah. So I couldn't find a lot of information about Millie other than by this time she was a widow and she was a well-known, prominent businesswoman. Um, Ooh, that... I know, it's like, woman power. <laughs> Back in the day, that uh -huh. was very uncommon. Right. Uh, Millie and her children worked really hard to reopen the building, and they added a third story to the west wing. So I think behind what we're looking at right now, there was just two floors, like, back there, and then they added a third floor to, like, extend the third floor. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. And they did that to create apartment rooms, or apartment buildings, or houses, or whatever you want to call them. Yeah. Units. Um, in 1973 is when Garth Jones took over the ownership of the building, and Garth is Millie's son. Okay. In the renovation process, he replaced all of the windows and the light fixtures. He added new carpet, updated the appliances and cabinetry. This place has been an apartment complex since, really since the 30s, but it was also a hotel at the time. But it became just an apartment complex in the 70s. Okay. So it just over time went from being a hotel to an apartment complex. Okay. The um, people stayed longer than a couple nights. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So in 2014, the building was sold to David Jones, and he was the nephew of the original owners. And Garth retired with his family. He retired, and he and his mo family moved to Hawaii. Ooh. Currently, the owner is David Jones, and... 
like I said, he's the nephew of the original owner, so he's Millie's That's cool nephew. it's stated in the family. Yeah. I like that. Mm-hmm. Like, since the very beginning. I like that because it's like the corporate didn't win. Like, yeah. corporate companies didn't buy it out and win. Like, mm-hmm. it hasn't been turned into a Marriott or, like, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. That kind of thing kind of bums me out when family-owned stuff turns into. Mm-hmm. It makes it more unique. Yeah. Know? And I just like the family-owned type yeah. of things. Well, and you know that, like, all the money over time has probably gone to the family. Yeah. You know, not to just some rich guy that has too much money anyway. Yeah. There Um, needs to be more family businesses. But then you get the, what are they called? The little rom-coms where it's like, I don't want to follow in my father's footsteps (laughs) (laughs) and run the family business. I want to do what I want to do. That's how that problem is created. (laughs) Yeah. So never mind. Yeah. I guess it's just, depends on who you are. (laughs) In an article I read on TooelaOnline.com, they interviewed Garth, who was the previous owner before David. Um, He mentioned that he takes a lot of pride in the furnishings of the building uh, with pieces that he would find from other historical buildings around Utah. So it's literally furnished with historical furniture. That's cool. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's where the ghosts are. Okay. Uh, And this is his quote, which this is just (laughs) his personality. And yeah, he says, quote, There's no mortgage involved here when you live at the Kirk. The bank is not your partner. It's the concept of giving people what I call the millionaire lifestyle. They can come in and live in housing that would only be affordable to a millionaire. It's totally worth all the effort I put into it. Hmm. Yeah. He toots his own horn, that's for sure. Um, so is it, like, luxurious in there? No. Oh, okay. (laughs) Not at all. <laughs> was it at any time luxurious? Um, when it was first constructed. The hotel. Yeah. When it was first, like, open and it was, like, super special to the t- to the town and everything. Okay. That's when it was in its prime. So he had hope, big hopes and dreams of being a millionaire type place to live. Yeah. So, that was all the history. Do you want to hear about the deaths? Always. <laughs> uh, some deaths that have happened here have been just previous residents who have died from natural causes. Mm, sure. Okay. Uh, there have been suicides here. Ugh. In a Deseret News article from 2004, uh, a man named Daniel Painter was served an eviction notice in August of 2004 for failing to pay rent and decided to seek revenge on his landlord. So he took his landlord's chow Labrador named Kaboo. <gasps> that is such a cute name. Kaboo, I know, right? Um, and he killed the dog with a sword. Oh, my. he dragged the dog through the halls of the complex before tossing it into a dumpster outside. That is awful. Ever since then, it's been known to haunt the property. The dog? Yeah, let's get on to the paranormal. That's all the deaths that I know about. Well, that's a horrible... Yeah. I'd be okay being haunted by a dog, though. Yeah. But if they're haunting it, it means that they're stuck here, so Mm -hmm. that's kind of sad, too. Yeah. I'm not going anywhere. This is just chaos. And I'm sorry, I didn't organize. I just went bullet points because I'm like, there's just so much. And I was getting it from all different places that I'm like, we're just going to read it off like a list. Okay. <laughs> Let's hear it. Okay. So I want to say that most of my references or most of these stories are coming from the comment section of a Facebook. Or so there's a, there's a couple posts in the Utah Haunted History page and the Twilla 411 page. 
these stories are from the comment section of that. Okay. Also from the comment section of www.hauntedplaces.org in the Kirk Hotel section. Okay. So a lot of these are just people commenting and saying their stories. Here we go. So people say that sometimes at night when you're inside the building, you'll hear the sound of a dog crying or whimpering outside. And when you go look, nothing will be there. That's sad. Someone was once walking their dog along the side of the building and out of nowhere, their dog started growling and nipping at something in the air. And then all of a sudden the owner, so the person, they saw a dog sized shadow dash across the wall and then disappear. What? Yeah. Um, People who have lived in the basement apartment say that the kitchen faucet will sometimes just turn on full blast without any reason. It's from when the people at the top floor flush their toilet and it goes into your sink. (laughs) Yeah. The faucets are a a theme. Mm Mm-hmm. And part of me is like... It's old plumbing. Yeah, like ghost hunters. I feel like that was always their thing. They're like, well, we're plumbers and usually these things can be explained by just old pipes. Yeah. So I am skeptical about the faucets because it's like that to me can be explained. Yeah. Somehow, usually. But we weren't there. Who Ghost knows? hunters. Yeah. Come take a peek. Honestly, this would be a really cool place for them to do. Yeah. Because it's low key. You know? Yeah. And Ghost Adventures has not been here. And they haven't dramatized it. Exactly. Yeah. In the apartments, people say that there is what seems to be an evil spirit, especially down in the old coal cellar. So I think that's in the basement. Okay. Okay. One tenant says that their dog refused to ever go down there, and they said that their dog would stand at the top of the stairs. And try to block her from going down and then would just growl towards the bottom of the stairs with her hair standing up on her back. Oh, that's, uh, that would get me to never go down there. Right? Dogs know. They do. Another tenant says that, that the owner of the building at one point asked if her sons would go down to the basement and just check some pipes for her. And I guess they were close and they knew each other, so it wasn't that weird. Hmm. Um, so she sent her boys down there to check whatever pipe it was. And so the boys came running back up the stairs and they refused to ever go back down there again. They said they just got a creeped out feeling and they had a, a desperate need to get out and don't look back. Ooh. Which I'm like... That's scary. Sometimes kids even know. Yeah. You know? Oh, kids are in tune with yeah. something. An employee who used to do a lot of the maintenance in the basement says he has captured a lot of weird things in pictures, like orbs and faces, and even one time he took a picture, and there seemed to be what looked like an apparition of a little girl. Ooh. And he was just a maintenance worker. Tenants have felt the same malevolent presence in the old laundry room where people have also claimed to see a dark black shadow figure. People have had experiences in the front lobby area of the building. They also say that no matter where you are in the apartments, or even when you're standing outside on the street, it feels like someone is always watching you. Ugh. Another previous tenant commented and said that they lived in one of the apartments here, and the bedroom they had didn't have any windows. One night they said that a friend stayed with them, and they couldn't sleep because when they opened their eyes, it looked like the walls were undulating do you know what that word is undulating i had to look it up and undulating is like a waving motion weird yeah so they were having a sleepover and they said that they couldn't sleep because whenever they opened their eyes it looked like the walls were doing this like just waving what isn't that creepy that is weird the person who commented with that story also said that at a different time but in that same room they saw a black shadow figure peek around the corner at them Someone said that they would sometimes hear heavenly music in the middle of the night, which... I'm not, a, I'm not opposed to that. No. 
that experience I'd prefer over others. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Instead of, like, screams or something. Or, like, seeing a dark figure in your room. Yeah. Crouching. I'd rather hear, like, the harp. Yeah, that's <laughs> fine with me. Down the hall. Yeah. Um, another tenant commented and said that when they lived here, they lived in one of the rooms that didn't have any windows. And so that there were nights when they would randomly wake up and they were unable to breathe. Holy. Uh, a YouTube poster named Chelsea with the handle Chi V EVPs. Oh, wow. <laughs> Has a video with some potential EVPs from this place, um, from an investigation that she did back in 2015. In the recording, she asks, is anyone here? And you hear a voice say, help me. Ugh. And you hear them ask other questions throughout the video, but you keep hearing, help me, being repeated. Wow. Later in the recording, you can hear a woman say, Chelsea, which is the girl's, the name. girl's name. And also later in the, in the recording, you hear a man say, Chelsea, be quiet. Oof. Yeah. Yeah, shush. (laughs) We're done with you. (laughs) People have reported seeing an apparition of a woman on the second and third floors, and she's the most often seen in photographs. Oh, geez. People have said that objects will move around on their own, cupboards open and shut by themselves, doors will lock on their own, and you even hear the sound of footsteps and no one will be there. One tenant who commented said that one time they they came home from work, and they had walked inside their apartment, all their kitchen chairs were turned around, and their closet door was wide open. That's creepy. Right? That's like poltergeist stuff. Yeah. Another tenant who used to live here commented, and they said that they believed that when they lived here, there was a spirit of an old lady, a man, and a little boy. They said whatever it was would mess with their TV and their radio, but also mess with their shoes, and at one time, at one time out of nowhere, a clothes hanger was thrown at them. They said they yelled out to the spirit to leave them alone and heard a hello in response. And one time they even heard someone say, can you hear me? Someone's like trying to get their attention. Yeah, sounds like it. Uh, Back when this was the hotel, an employee said that one time they were cleaning the third floor and they had just wiped down a wall. But when they walked away to grab some disinfectant spray, they came back to return to the wall and they saw a bloody smear, but nobody had walked by. Wow bloody smear yeah that same employee said that one time she was wiping door handles down on the third floor and something slammed the door shut from the other side Jeez. yeah another previous tenant named amanda commented and she said that her family lived here when she was only eight years old and she remembers one time her mom had come home from drinking at a local bar and she and her brother were already in bed asleep and her mom came in and said quit playing games with me and so they jump up and they you know went to see what was going on And their mom was pissed, saying, why are you guys playing games with me? And they're like, we were just asleep. Well, she says that when she came home, she had just seen both of her children under her bed, shaking with fear. What in the hell? Yeah. And so she, like, walked away or whatever and came back and they were gone. And that's when she was like, stop playing games with me. Isn't that freaky? That is demonic to me. Yeah. That same night, so after that all happened, that same night their mom went to bed and while she was laying in bed, she felt someone lay next to her and start playing with her hair. Freaking no way. Yeah. Another previous tenant named Lynette commented, and she said that she lived here back in 2002. Uh, she had countless experiences, like objects moving around on their own, but one experience really freaked her out. She said one night she was sleeping alone because her husband was working late, and she said she started to hear voices that sounded like they were coming from inside of her apartment. So she instantly sat up. Uh, she kept listening 
to the voices and they got louder and louder and she said they started to sound like they were getting angrier and angrier. So she talked herself into thinking that the voices were actually coming from the outside of her apartment. Mm -hmm. So she gets up and she goes to put her ear against the, the door and she can hear the voices even louder. And so she's like, okay, these voices are coming from out there. So she opens her door to tell them to be, to be quiet because it's late. Opens her door, the voices stop, and no one's there. Weird. That is really weird. Um, residents have said that they will sometimes hear the sound of a child giggling. There have been reports of seeing something in the mirrors um, just all throughout the building. Oh, I hate that. Local- I hate seeing... I like... After watching scary movies as a kid, that would be my worst nightmare. I'd always expect to see someone behind me in a mirror. A local artist named EVG, I don't know how you would say that, Evg, um, (laughs) was asked to put some art near the bike rack on the inside of the building. I guess they were a local artist and they were asked to put some art up. Mm -hmm. And so they did. They painted something and put it up and they said that uh, they went back to go visit their painting to see if it was still up. And said that when they looked at it again, it looked like faces were appearing. What? Yeah, I saved the picture. Maybe we can post it. I don't know if we can do that without permission. It's a picture of the paintings. Oh. But, like, when you look at it, I mean, they're really just smudges and stuff, but, like, you see faces. Oh, And the artist was like, that's weird. Huh. So, who knows. Someone said that they lived here on the second floor back in 2010, and so they noticed that when whatever presence was still there, it didn't like when the furniture was moved around. He said every time he moved furniture, he would experience some form of sleep paralysis, where he'd wake up with a woman choking him. He she said, did not like how he arranged things. Yeah, he said as soon as he put the furniture back together and stopped moving it around, the lady stopped. Wow. <laughs> yeah. A comment from 2018 by someone named Chloe said that they are, or were, a current resident, and they said that they would experience something daily. She said that when she lived here, she had a one-year-old at the time, and sometimes when her child was with her, on the baby monitor, she would hear her child crying from her room. Does that make sense? So she would hear on the baby monitor, but the baby was with her. Mm-hmm. Okay. And fine. Oh, my gosh. She also said that at night, when she would hear the baby crying through the monitor, she would sometimes hear a woman humming. Freak, no. Yeah. Uh-uh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, she said that one time, so she lived on the first floor, and while she was here, they were doing some, like, remodeling or some construction on the third floor. She said one time she went up there just to check it out and see what they were doing, and as soon as she got to the top of the stairs, she was pushed. Oh my gosh. Um, Chloe also said that she saw a black cloaked figure staring at her from outside her kitchen window and from outside her daughter's window. And sometimes that figure would knock. One thing she pointed out is that the windows were at least 10 feet off the ground from outside. So there's no way. There's no way. And I think it's the windows on the other side of the building, which I'm like, I know which windows you're probably talking about. And they're like above, like they'd be above our heads. Yeah. That's scary. Yeah. Residents have claimed to see shadow figures walking down the hallway through their peepholes. Uh, A commenter named TJ said that he moved in the apartments in October of 2001 and knew about the rumors of the building being haunted. He said he was a scientist studying at the U and wanted to see something before he could actually say if it was legit or not. Yeah. He said he tried to do a small ghost haunt on the first Halloween that he lived here, but nothing happened. He paid attention, but nothing ever strange happened for a couple months until January of 2002. He said that one night he was coming home late and he was fumbling with his keys at his door when he heard some swooshing noises next to him 
So he looked over and he saw a clear apparition of an older woman with a black top and long gray hair. He said that she didn't have any legs or at least he only could see the top half of her. Mm-hmm. He said that she just stood there and stared past him as if he, she couldn't see him. He says he was so shocked but wanted to say something. So he said, where are you from? <laughs> and as soon as he asked, uh, she began to vanish. He said that he sat in his apartment that night in disbelief and kept a lookout for more activity, but that was the only thing that he ever experienced. Wow. Um, Another commenter named K.D. Hatfield said that her parents ran the Kirk Apartments when she was a kid, and she remembers seeing an apparition of an old woman who would sit at the top of the stairs and watch them go to their apartment. She said one time on Christmas, the old woman reached out as if trying to touch her. That would um, freak me out. A previous renter named Alita said that her and her husband lived here in the 70s, and they said they used to use a payphone that was just inside the front doors, and they would avoid using it because they always felt like something was watching them, and a few times they would get locked in, um, and it would seem like somebody was holding the door from the outside, not letting them out. Oh, he got dressed. Oh, nice. Good job, bud. <laughs> Uh, Alita said that her five-year-old daughter would always see an elderly woman with gray hair in the bathtub. Jeez. Someone named Courtney A. said that when she was a kid, her friend used to live here, and she would come over a lot to hang out for sleepovers. She said that whenever her friend would would take a shower, the kitchen faucet would always turn on by itself. She said that encouraged them to do a small ghost hunt, because, you know, there was rumors about yeah. being haunted and their little girls, you know? Yeah. So they got out a voice recorder, and they got two EVPs. One was somebody screaming, and the other one oh. was a child counting. One, two, three. The end. Oh, that's stressful. See, I would be one of those people, if I was in the area and I was moving out, I'd target right a haunted place all right well thanks that was a good that was a good episode i guess (laughs) i liked your i liked your story your story is good too i mean it was just just, well researched so hard to read anywho well thanks everybody for listening hope Um, you liked our stories (laughs) this came out on march 6th so before now and the next episode will be saint patrick's day so happy saint patrick's day i hope you all are lucky Hope you get some green beer. Green beer? Yeah, you can get green beer on St. Patrick's Day at pubs. What do they what do they make it green with? You know you know how beer is like a yellowy orangey color? Maybe they have a blue in it. I was just wondering that, yeah. I mean we can try. Should we try it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Should we do a science experiment when we do our on deck at desk? Yeah. I think we have to now. Okay. Okay, well, if you wanna know how that goes, <laughs> Check back on March. Well, I guess it's March 6th, but on March 1st, we re. re what do we do? <laughs> we released. We released. On Patreon, our On Deck at Dusk episode where we talk about sleep. Yep. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be great. It's going to either put you to sleep or make you want to go to sleep or. Or never sleep again. <laughs> we'll find out. But we're going to do a science experiment to see how we can turn beer green yeah is it just as simple as green food coloring or do or you have to put blue in it blue food coloring in like a yellowy piss color beer <laughs> right. we'll figure it out we'll find out mm-hmm. wait green and yellow does that make blue no <laughs> blue and yellow makes green okay green and yellow makes a yellowy green lime <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, that sounds right to me. Internal lime or out <laughs> external lime. <laughs> 
Yeah, so find us on Instagram at Haunt and Cold Podcast. Find us on Twitter at Haunt and Cold. Find us on Facebook at Haunt and Cold Podcast. We probably have a website. <laughs> we might by this time. Yeah. Uh, April has been making awesome merch. We have keychains. We have earrings. We have earrings. We're going to have beanies. Going to have beanies. We're going to have stickers. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I got them remade in a better fashion. Yes. So we'll re-advertise them yeah. probably. Yeah. Uh, so I plan on having all of that not only available for those who are signing up for Patreon, but also available for purchase on our website. But here's the thing. I haven't done it yet. <laughs> <laughs> and April's going on vacation. So maybe after the vacation. Yeah, boy, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, so. I'm, I'm pretty close. I'm pretty close. Yeah. You are. Also, when we do get the website up, the reason another reason it's taken so long is because April is working really hard on getting the citations up. So if you're ever listening to any of these stories and you're like, excuse me, what? That will be available for you to go and see what we're seeing to then report. Yeah, um, I've had a lot of questions about episode one. Yes. I bet you can guess what mm-hmm. people want to actually prove I said but I didn't say it someone else said it I just (laughs) quoted it back so I have opinions about it but I didn't say it so we can't prove our opinions but we can prove quotes and our the research that we've done yeah so if you're calling bullshit we'll raise you a citation (laughs) (laughs) so yeah Yeah. I'll be there but it's just taking a long time because there's a lot of a lot of things that we've done before the website was totally created so april's now having to go back and add that stuff yeah so it's just taking some time and i hope that nobody's out there holding their breath don't because you'll die before it gets up (laughs) yeah just keep breathing you know (laughs) yeah just take a deep breath and just be patient with me because i am busy you know i hope there's at least one person out there that is just so anxious for our website (laughs) they're like i can't wait to see what you put together yeah no i'm kind of glad no one does because then i'd feel more pressure but you know once it's up people are gonna be like this is what we've been missing this whole time (laughs) or they'd be like this is what took you (laughs) three months (laughs) to be fair I have started my job part-time again. Mm-hmm. I am still doing my business of the boutique yep. and podcasting. So yep. it takes a lot more time than you might think. It really does. Plus, did you say kids? Oh, I have those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That adds to it. Um, it adds up. <laughs> it adds up to have zero time on my hands. Okay, well, I think that's it. Yeah, um, thanks for listening. Thank you. Mm, Okay, bye. bye.